Network at JournalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of September 15th, 2020. Almost halfway through September. And uh, yeah, good riddance, 2020. And this is officially episode number 450. And we got nothing planned tonight, no cake, no celebrations. It's just another number. Uh, We'll wait till we get 500. I think that'll be a fun episode. But 450 tonight. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. We've got a lot of news in the news tonight here on the Paranormal News Insider and some updates as well on some events. Uh, tonight, we're all over the place. We've got something from every category. We've got some monsters. We've got some cryptids. Uh, we've got some alligators. We've got some UFOs, we've got ghosts on TV, and uh, some weird stuff, too. Talk about that story about uh, potential life on Venus. Hopefully we have time for that. I got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, so let's get to it. What are we standing around for? Let's go. Um, So some events news. I really kind of ignored that the last couple of weeks, but I did update the schedule. And obviously mid-September... This is normally a heavy part of the schedule for paranormal conferences and conventions leading into October. September and October are probably the two heaviest months next to April and May as far as paranormal conferences and conventions go. But obviously things have been turned upside down this year. We've been talking about it all year long here on the show. And September, no different. Pretty much everything canceled for the most part. There's a few events that went on this month, but uh, a few of those were virtual. Others were very, very small in attendance. Um, A majority of events this year, like we've talked about, have been postponed uh, till next year. To me, that's just, you might as well just call it what it is. It's canceled. Canceled 2020. Uh, Let's just move into 2021. Uh, Everything's been a mess. Uh, If you, you know, I've been trying to keep up with paranormal conferences and conventions for a number of years. And this is by far the worst year uh, of, of trying to keep track of everything. It's just been all over the place. And uh, I do have one update for an event, the Van Meter Visitor Festival, scheduled for September 26th in Van Meter, Iowa. Well, that's been canceled for 2020 due to the uncertainty of COVID-19. They've had a lot of... Uh, a lot of cases breaking out in that area, so they're not going to take any chances with uh, just over a week away to that event. It's canceled. It's done. But it will be back next year on September 25th of 2021. I sure hope everything goes well next year because if not, oh, boy, it's going to be a mess. And uh, actually looking at the calendar, I don't have – Nothing here in September as far as ghost stuff is concerned till the end of the year. Looks like most of the stuff is 2021. We do have the Littleton Paracon coming up October 17th. I don't think uh, the last, well, I just checked earlier today. It's still on uh, as far as I see, as well as the fourth annual Central Paranormal Convention, PA for, for uh, Pennsylvania. Paranormal Convention, October 30th through November 1st in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Still on at this time. Uh, UFO events. Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, let's see, got some October. So the MUFON Philadelphia Area UFO Conference, it's uh, rescheduled for October 23rd and 24th. I don't know if that's still going on or not. Uh, that's the next event. As far as uh, cryptid stuff, we've got Albatwitch Day on October 17th in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Last I've seen, that is still on as well, as is the 2020 Texas Bigfoot Conference, October 16th and 17th uh, in Jefferson, Texas. Yeah, i got to update that. I see another problem. But, uh, yeah, most of it is just so many crossouts, rescheduled, canceled. 
Um, it just just a, a complete disastrous mess. I gotta put myself on here. So you know, just talking to myself as I'm looking through the schedule. So yeah, it's it's really a big mess. But uh, like I said, a lot of events going virtual, which is weird because you'd think that with you know everybody working at home and uh, people having to use Zoom and go to meeting and uh, all the other virtual meeting Skype, which uh, is always a good one. Uh, all these things that people are using at home uh, that the, the ghost and UFO and cryptid fields really couldn't figure out how to use this uh, a lot better. I, I think it would have been a great transition to get a lot more people to visit their events. It's not the same. I get it. It's I'd rather be there in person myself. I, I totally, totally get that. But uh, for myself and what I do in my job, uh, we've also been sidetracked. Normally, uh, what I do is I teach uh, a handful of people specific things, specific uh, skills, I guess, in, in a room, a small classroom setting, uh, usually up to about 10 people, not, not giant classes. But uh, we've not been able to do that, obviously. Uh, I remember the day that we had to uh, call it quits and we had no more people coming in back in March. And we've adapted, we've changed, and we're doing things virtually now. So I, I utilize Zoom quite a bit. So I'm very familiar with that. Uh, but I'm, I'm surprised and shocked that the paranormal didn't do that. I guess they couldn't figure out how to charge people for things, I guess. Uh, but I will be doing one event this year. It's the smallest amount of events I've done probably in, I don't know, a long time. But one event this year, October 12th, I will be... Uh, at the Westerville Public Library, virtually, it'll be my it says 12th consecutive year. I don't know if that's true. seems like it's been a lot more than that. But either way, that's, that's a lot of visits. 12th consecutive year, uh, virtually, for this 12th time. Granted, I've been there twice in a couple of years. Uh, and I'm going back to, uh, going back to my roots. going to go talk about ghosts this time. And... Uh, my topic is called Cases and Places Behind the Veil of Ghost Investigation. Uh, I'm going to take you on a journey through a lot of my hair-raising cases, uh, probably my most hair-raising cases that I've, I've done, and I'll be mixing all that in uh, with some personal experiences uh, while talking about technology and some methodologies behind the investigation process. A lot of stuff that people uh, do wrong. And how we can do things better uh, mixed in with stories. So it's, you know, it's like a little campfire, but just don't set a campfire if you're listening at home. Uh, if you want to tune into that, you can go to westervillelibrary.org or westervillelibrary.org forward slash events. That'll take you right to the events page. I don't have any information yet. I don't know. I guess you have to sign up for it. Then you'll get information about the, uh, I believe it's GoToMeeting is, is who it's going to be going through. So you'll get uh, an event link. There's no charge for that, so you can show up. Hoping to get a uh, larger than normal crowd. Usually I get around, I think, between 30 and 50. Depends on the room set up for that year. And looking forward to maybe getting more. Granted, it's hard because you really have to keep people's attention. It's a lot different than being in front of a room of people where you can gauge their um, body language, their face, their their interaction. It's it's a lot harder to interact with people. It's a lot harder to keep their attention too when they could be sitting there thinking, gosh, did I put the dishes in the dishwasher? And they can get up and leave and never come back. Or, hey, there's a TV show I want to watch. And uh, you just lost them. Or they start going uh, through the internet or you know flipping through Instagram or something else on their phone. So I'm looking forward to it. And that's going to be October 12th. Uh, more information as we get closer. So I mentioned we've got a lot of news tonight and uh, a lot of news. So we're going to start it off where we always started off, and that's encrypted news. And it uh, seems like we've talked a lot about the Loch Ness Monster the last few months. I don't know why. It's not really, I'll, I'll be honest with you, not my favorite creature because everybody in the world knows it doesn't exist. 
Oh, I just heard somebody boo at me. Um, but uh, I, I really think that, you know, science has done one heck of a job at uh, really finding the facts. It's, it's hard to say that the Loch Ness Monster exists or Bigfoot exists. Um, but as far as like Bigfoot, it's hard for scientists to say that Bigfoot definitively doesn't exist. But the Loch Ness Monster... Uh, you know, we look at the study, the Otago University study last year, where they took numerous samples at various levels all around the lock, took DNA, uh, broke it down, and, and found thousands of species, uh, you know, tracked people, basically, uh, all sorts of fish, you name it, uh, even tree life around the lock all sorts of different bacteria that was there. Really no major surprises, uh, but no Loch Ness Monster, no large creatures, no sharks, nothing, nothing big that could explain the Loch Ness Monster. So science has pretty much kicked it to the curb, but these stories continue. People believe in the Loch Ness Monster, and I think the belief factor is bigger than the monster itself. But that being said, last Tuesday, an unidentified man was walking around the lock on the new Loch Ness 360 trail, which sounds really cool. It goes all the way around Loch Ness. I forget how long it is. It's pretty long. It's a, quite the track. Uh, when he took photographs of what he feels is the Loch Ness monster. Of course he did. Uh, the man states he is a, quote, lifelong Nessie skeptic, unquote, uh, although, according to the article, he was shocked and baffled when he had his sighting. Uh, throw a picture of that in the chat room. Yeah, it's it's always I always love that word baffled. So whenever somebody uh, needs to make a story sound bigger than what it really is, we throw the word baffled in there, and that'll do it. Uh, so here's a picture. If you're in the chat room, uh, you get to see these little pictures that I take from some of these stories. Yeah, that looks really scary, doesn't it? Uh, if you're in the chat room, you can click on the picture. It'll get a little bit bigger, and you can take a look at that scary, spooky monster in the Loch Ness. There it is, the Loch Ness Monster on your screen. Scary stuff. Uh, the man was stated, so he's unidentified, so i just got to call him the man. Uh, he states, uh, quote, I was just enjoying the wonderful wonderful views uh, mind elsewhere on a lovely, clear, breezy day when I stopped dead in my tracks. From where I stood at a clear vantage point in the hills, there was a very defined dark shape beneath the water. Um, see, he goes on to say, quote, uh, I might have been the height I was that gave me such a good view because those on boats some distance away didn't seem to react or notice. Uh, I stood absolutely transfixed. It just doesn't look right. I have known the lock very well since my youth, and I know how strange shapes can appear in wave patterns on breezy days that fool people and are mistaken for something more fanciful. This was nothing like that. Whatever was moving beneath the surface seemed pretty large and was moving directly across the line of waves at right angles rather than with it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was long with two distinct fin shapes on either side of it. I stood and watched for a good five minutes before it just seemed to disappear into the depths. Uh, believe me, all of my life I've never been anything other than a serious Nessie skeptic. As kids growing up, we used to tease the American, German, and Japanese tourists by telling them where they could go and feed the monster and other pranks like that. We played up to it with the tourists, but in all my years living on the lock or traveling along it, I've never seen a thing that convinced me or a serious piece of scientific evidence. After what I saw last week, I really don't know. I can't think of any reasonable explanation for it other than something I really don't want to publicly admit to. Unquote. That's a lot of words for a guy who wants to stay anonymous. I got a lot to say there. Um, yeah, if you've been on the lock, the the lock is uh, so it's an odd shape. It's very long and thin, and sometimes the wind plays havoc on that surface. And uh, he kind of alluded to it, but uh, usually you see 
weird patterns because of the wind and uh, something they call a siege to where the water is pushed uh, toward one shoreline and it comes back and then waves are rushing over and hitting other waves. It doesn't, it doesn't even take a lot of wind to have this happen. It could be a very gentle breeze. And even when you're standing on the side of the, the uh, shoreline, you may not even uh, feel it. But uh, I would think that he would understand this. That, that's really a big explanation of a lot of these settings on Loch Ness. Random waves just seem to appear out of nowhere. And, of course, everyone thinks, well, it's a wave. It's got to be something under the water. But uh, usually it's something on top. But, um, yeah, the Loch Ness Monster, it's, it's never going to go away. It's always going to be something that people are going to believe in. But um, this one, just like the other... Gosh, I don't know how many sightings there have been. But uh, really, this one just looked before the show. Uh, so about an hour and a half ago, uh, this sighting was not included in the official Loch Ness Monster sightings register as kept by Gary Campbell. So it's not an official sighting on his uh, on his watch, I guess. But uh, maybe because he doesn't have the name of the guy. I don't know. But we'll see. I'm sure there'll be more. It's uh, almost fall, though, so Loch Ness Monster uh, usually goes into hibernation, I guess. But uh, Loch Ness Monster, obviously not a big story uh, in the cryptid news arena, but the big story this week, I would have to say, uh, by far in the cryptid field, is finally about Bigfoot. Uh, but again... It's a letdown story about Bigfoot because it's not really about Bigfoot. It always seems to be the case. Bigfoot stories are really never about Bigfoot. It's always about other people that are about Bigfoot. I don't know. Uh, so it's not a video. It's not another sighting. But it's the arrest of a 39-year-old Alabama-based Bigfoot researcher named Gwendolyn Michelle Jones. Jones was arrested for attempted murder after she fired several rounds from a Ruger 380 handgun at a male back on September 2nd. Jones was charged with attempted murder, a Class A felony, attempted first-degree domestic violence, a Class B felony, and first-degree criminal trespassing, which is a Class A misdemeanor. Court records state, quote, Jones shot a Ruger LCP 380 handgun multiple times, at a victim while he was sleeping. Once the victim awoke, I don't know how many shots that would take, uh, he witnessed Jones standing across the room holding the pistol. She then fired additional rounds while standing in the hallway, unquote. Uh, in an interview last month with Jones, uh, she stated she was working with British Columbia-based researcher Todd Standing. And Standing, of course, is the man behind the Netflix documentary Discovering Bigfoot. Uh, if you've not watched it, uh, don't bother. Uh, he also has a shady past and many claims that lack any real credibility. He's uh, really kind of nixed by a lot of people in the Bigfoot field. Uh, Jones also mentioned she was the Southeast Regional Coordinator of Bigfoot Research, which is uh, Standing's organization. And Standing was in town prior to all this. Uh, to film and research reports of Bigfoot sightings in Alabama. It's about the time the story came out. So it was about a month ago. Um, the footage was to be turned into a documentary highlighting southern United States Bigfoot sightings. It was, it was also reported that Jones stated she was in the military and law enforcement for 15 years. But reading some of these stories, uh, I think that's kind of come into question. And uh, I'm not sure how that's going to go. It's not really illegal to say things like that unless you present yourself as a law enforcement officer when you're really not. Then that's, uh, that's a little bit different story. Um, but we'll see now that her, her private life is going to quickly become public once everything uh, starts going into motion. Uh, Jones also claimed that she discovered an adult male and female along with juveniles after leaving out food for them. That's uh, talking about Bigfoot right there. Singular and plural. 
Bigfoot. And so I guess her career as a Bigfoot researcher is kind of coming to an end pretty quick. Um, Pretty quick career. But we'll see. I don't know if uh, Standing is going to release any of this stuff. It depends on how good all that uh, footage is, I suppose. Uh, They were really working hard trying to get a lot of people to uh, submit some cases so they could go out and uh, find Bigfoot, I guess. That's what they do. So if you want to read that, I'll throw the link to that story in the chat room as well, which uh, try to do that when I can remember to. Usually I forget. Forgot what day it was today. I thought today was September 14th. I don't know. It must be getting old. There you go. Uh, so that's your Bigfoot update. And uh, one other update I want to throw in is uh, last week I mentioned alligator Frank Rob. You might remember rescued Chance the Snapper, the alligator. Uh, in Chicago last year, well, he's released a new book. And his first book uh, was a children's coloring book, which I have. Uh, his latest book is called Our American Alligator. And it's a little bit more of a middle school geared book. Or after reading it, I would say even a, a young adult book. Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't do all the, the extras in it, but uh, I enjoyed reading the book and of course, looking at the pictures. Um, so our American alligator, uh, I was hoping to be able to review it last week. I was so excited. I wanted to talk about it and uh, bump up his book sales a little bit. Uh, but I did receive mine the following day. So on Wednesday, I got home and it was in the mailbox. I was all excited. Uh, like a kid on Christmas Day, I ripped that thing open. And I uh, was excited to just sit down and read it. Uh, so it was a day late for the show. But... I've read through it, and I'll be honest with you, I was very impressed. A lot of great information. And yes, it's earned my stamp of approval, and it is officially this week's Book of the Week. Uh, it's Again, it's geared toward younger readers. Uh, but Rob, he doesn't really water down any of his knowledge. And, you know, when I started reading this, I thought, gosh, he's, you know, some of these concepts might be a little harder for younger readers. But then I'm thinking... This is science. This is uh, information. They need to learn this stuff. And there's no way to really sugarcoat some of this stuff. Uh, so he presents it as is. The information's right there, which which I commend him for, and, and not uh, watering things down to make it, uh, I guess no pun intended, well, you know, watering it down to make it easier to digest for these kids. Uh, but it's not, it's not over-the-top science-y stuff. I mean, most of it is uh, with within reason, obviously, for children to read. Um, I mean, they might have to learn a little bit of some of the concepts, but I, I think uh, all in all, I think he did a fantastic job. There's a lot of words in the book, actually, that are underlined. And these underlined words, if you go toward the back of the book, they're defined later on. So if you're confused, you don't know what uh, some of these words mean. Uh, he he defines them for you. Let me take a stab here. Look at some of these words. And the the uh, font is ginormous. So this is like you could be almost blind and read this this book. It's uh, very big, but it's you know it's a nice sized book. It could be like shrunk down almost half the size. You could still read the words. Uh, so words like bellowing, pheromones, olfactory sense territorial disputes, I guess that's a phrase, uh, a lot of these things are underlined. So they're d- defined later on. Locomotion. I guess kids don't know what trains are. Uh, all these things and more are defined later on in the book. And uh, one more impressive thing about this book, I was very happy to see. Uh, I was a little nervous when I started reading the book because he kind of talks about how there's a little bit of a disagreement or he's kind of talking about his own thoughts about alligators. So I was kind of wondering if, you know, he was just going to take this weird approach to uh, to what he thought alligators were thinking or doing, you know, like an alligator whisperer type of thing. But uh, throughout the book, there's tons of references. It's all tied up in the back of the book. So some of it's like new findings. So it kind of goes against 
what is the the kind of overall thought process about crocodilians and and alligators um but he's on the on the cutting edge of what's going on so he's got his finger on the pulse of alligatorhood i guess uh so plenty of references which is always nice to see for any type of book especially for kids you don't want to lead them astray and like i said there's also a lot of photographs as well as diagrams and the best thing about this being geared toward younger kids is it's packed with a lot of things. So it's got crossword puzzles, word finds. There's a lot of did you know snippets and a whole lot more to keep a kid's attention. I think just some of these uh, things alone will will just captivate them. Uh, here's some here's some tidbits here. Did you know that an alligator has excellent blood clotting ability? In fact, if it loses a limb, the limb will clot very quickly so that it will not bleed out. Incredible. And, you know, it's kind of disturbing as it sounds. Um, there's actually a picture that he has. He's pointing toward a little knob of a bone where, uh, I don't know, we call it an arm. I guess it's an arm. It got ripped off and you can see, just see the, the, uh, the bone sticking out. It's not really gross, I guess, when I looked at it. Uh, but it, you know, the blood clotted. You can see with the blood clotted. I think it's pretty cool. And you know why? Why not show kids this stuff? You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, Rob also has some real facts about some of the beliefs behind alligators. And I was pleasantly surprised to read about this. And this is I've always thought the same thing. And I argue with people when they when they say this. So it's great to hear him say this. So if you've heard that running in a zigzag pattern away from an alligator, it's going to help you escape. Uh, well, you, you heard wrong. That's not going to help you. Uh, as Rob points out, and I've always said, uh, if you run in a zigzag line and the alligator just decides to keep running in a straight line, well, you might have learned in school that uh, the quickest way between two points is a straight line. So the alligator is going to get you. Uh, they can run faster than you at a sprint. Uh, so don't give it any advantage you can. Uh, and I guess climbing trees doesn't work either because, man, we've seen them, what, this year, earlier this year, climbing fences? That's crazy. Uh, try looking, try look big when you see an alligator. If an alligator's coming at you, I mean, obviously you want to back away. You don't want them grabbing you, pull them in the water, but uh, try to look big, back away slowly before running. Uh, yeah, don't run, just walk away, back up, and keep going. Uh, but if you do decide to run, and you're going to run home, uh, run home and log into eearss.org. That's eearss.org. And buy Frank Robb's Our American Alligator book, this week's Paranormal News Insider Book of the Week. Uh, the book is just 55 pages long, and like I said, very large print, lots of pictures. But I'm telling you, it's packed with a ton of information. So let me throw the uh, cover of that book of Cover looks a little weird, but trust me, it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's I like to see him do like a high school type book. I think it would be fantastic. Some research stuff. So there's the cover of that book. And if you go to the, the website, it's going to be a test later on what this website is, eearss.org, and you buy the book, um, you can also choose – for $10 to get it autographed, which, uh, yeah, you know, I splurged and I got uh, Frank, Frank Rob's autograph. I was excited about that. So environmental, educational, I can't read that. It's too small. That's on the back of the book. It's got to be somewhere else in here. Stands for his, his organization. Closed out the website. But uh, very good organization, very good uh, great book. I mean, it's he's done a great job. I mean, coming from the uh, coloring book, which was still cool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this is a really, really nice uh, book for kids, and I think it's going to do well. Hopefully it does well. He's got a lot of fans. He was in another article in Chicago a couple of days ago, and he's getting a lot of media attention with this book. So congrats to him, and I hope this helps educate people. This is his passion and I support that passion, and I think it's important. If you've heard this show, 
you may wonder, why does this guy keep talking about alligators? What does alligators have to do with the paranormal? But alligators are appearing in record numbers in the Northeast. They're not supposed to be here. Granted, yes, we know. I know they're being released by people. Uh, they're pets that people don't want to take care of. They think, well, you know, I can buy one at a, a trade show and I'll raise it in an aquarium. Well, maybe I need to raise them in the bathtub now. Well, mom says I got to get rid of them. So let me go down to the creek and throw them in the water. Now, if more people understand alligators, uh, they become a little bit less of a mystery and they become a little less exotic. And hopefully people won't just buy them on a whim and end up tossing them into a lake, a river, or a pond because that's not cool. It's not good for the alligator. It's not good for the general public. And I'm telling you, it's only a matter of time till somebody is injured or attacked in the Northeast by alligators. It happens all the time. I read stories every day of attacks in Florida, uh, Arkansas, even Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. So these things are happening in the South. We don't need them to happen in Ohio. So yes, again, the book of the week this week, Our American Alligator by Alligator Frank Robb, the rescuer of Chance the Snapper last year in Chicago. Our book of the week this week. Uh, UFO News. Well, <laughs> got a couple of stories. I'm, I'm going to cover this one, I guess. So social media erupted in fear and confusion on Monday night. Yep, last night, September 14th, dozens of videos began popping up on multiple formats of social media of strange flying craft over the skies of New Jersey. It was bedlam. People were baffled. Yes, they were actually baffled. Uh, people were screaming, running for the streets, uh, looting. Okay, there was no looting. Uh, just people were, people were wondering what's going on. What is this thing? People were pulled over to the side of the road. Uh, just shared a clip from a video in the chat room of this uh, strange little pill-shaped object with a, with a weird light on the bottom of it or something. Sky color, what is that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, social media erupted in the, uh, I guess, a little after rush hour, around the rush hour, I guess. It looks to be. Uh, so people were pulling off the side of the freeway. They were uh, filming this thing. Uh, dozens of people with their cameras or their phones, I should say, pointed at the sky. Cars, like I said, on the side of the road. People just pulling off the interstate. Uh, yeah, and uh, the expletives on these videos it was going all out. You could tell this happened uh, in that part of the country. Strangely enough, I don't know if this is a coincidence. Sightings also took place over the Teterboro Airport, uh, as well as near MetLife Stadium. I don't know. It's, it might be a coincidence because I think on Monday night, there was a big football game happening at MetLife Stadium. Granted, nobody was really there except for the players and the uh, referees. I guess they showed up too. Um so, yeah, there was a strange coincidence as there was a big football game at MetLife Stadium. And I guess, well, I guess the UFO was there to watch the Giants lose to the Steelers. And if you haven't figured it out yet, well, I'll spoil it for you. No, not a drone. That would be uh, not very good, not legal, although that would be pretty cool to watch a football game on your own drone. Uh, but the UFO turned out to be the Goodyear blimp. It does look like a drone, I suppose, when you're looking at the picture. Uh, watching the video, I think it should be kind of, sort of, obvious. Uh, some of these people were pretty far away. Others were pretty close. You could actually read words on this the scrolling screen in the bottom of the blimp. Uh, I don't. Does, nobody has like zoom on their cameras uh, on their phones. I, I don't get that. Um, I mean, gosh, even an optical zoom, you should be able to see something. You make out what it is. I, I, yeah, I just, I just don't get it. Uh, and again, despite no fans in the stadium, the blimp still supports the televised game 
from high above. And I don't know. I, I mean, for me, I guess right now I live about uh, just over 20 miles from what's called the Wingfoot Lake Airship Operations Balloon Port, which is home to Wingfoot 2, the uh, one of the, uh, I forget, I think there's three current blimps out and about right now. This one's here on the, the East Coast, Wingfoot 2. Uh, that one's suspected to be the blimp and the attendance. I didn't see a clear enough picture to see the, uh, see the, um, I don't know what you call that. What is that? The little uh, flap there on the back of the, the blimp to see, because that's where it would say what it is, uh, as well as the N numbers, which are the uh, FAA designated number for the airship. Um, supposed to be that wing foot too, but uh, it should have been. Uh, one would think, I mean, gosh, folks at this point in, in time would uh, be pretty familiar with the Goodyear blimp in New Jersey, New York area. Uh, I don't know. But uh, one thing that I found a little confusing as well is uh, I've always followed the Goodyear Blimp on Twitter, uh, especially Twitter. Twitter's my favorite. Whenever one of these stories come out, they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, they joke about being called a UFO. It's free exposure. You know, people don't normally talk about the Goodyear Blimp being in town, you know, maybe person to person or maybe a picture of it here or there. I know I've shared that uh, on a couple of social media platforms over the years, seeing the blimp in different places when I'm kayaking or uh, I'm at a baseball game or, or whatever. But, um, you know, they have a lot of fun doing, talking about being UFO. They get it's free free exposure for Goodyear and for the blimp. Uh, but what's weird is uh, normally their social media is uh, pretty quick to admit, hey, when these kind of stories are breaking, they'll jump in and say, yeah, that's us. Uh, but the... Uh, I noticed their Twitter has not been updated since mid-August, which uh, if you followed the news, uh, Goodyear has not been in the news in a good light as of mid-August. Uh, we had a slide gate, I guess you could call it that, and the president boycotted the company. Uh, so their social media has not been updated. Their website hasn't been updated to talk about the blimp sightings or the blimp uh, appearances, I should say. And normally I keep track of that so I can actually stay ahead of these UFO stories. And when the UFO story breaks, I try as quick as I can to uh, email the, the uh, people. But usually Goodyear is pretty quick about it too. So, uh, yeah, Goodyear blimp football game. We've seen this before. It's uh, happened before on the news. Yeah, believe it or not, people still fall for it. But it is what it is. Again, I'm I'm used to seeing it, and I, I can tell you that sometimes when you see it far away, it does look a little spooky if you're not sure what it is. But you'd have to think, geez, there's a big football game. It's Monday night. Could that be the Goodyear blimp? No, it's a UFO. It's got to be a UFO. No, no way to uh, explain that any other way. Uh, another thing happened in England, too, very explainable. It was actually a drone. I won't get into that story. We're going to jump into ghost news. And, you know, we've been talking about haunted houses for the last few months. Not sure what's going on with all that. I guess it depends on where you're at, especially with Halloween, too. Like, uh, notice here in Ohio, we didn't think we'd have either one of those events. Now I found out that uh, Halloween is taking place in some places here in Ohio, which I'm not sure I'm a big fan of, uh, as are haunted houses to some certain extent, uh, although they've been canceled in a lot of other places across the country. And in other places, Halloween and haunted houses are still up in the air. We're not sure what we're going to do about all that. But fear not, you still have Ghost-tober on television to look forward to this October. This year marks the third annual Ghost-tober event on the Travel Channel the same channel, uh, the same channel, rather, that brings you more food shows than travel shows. They don't even have any travel shows anymore. I don't think so, unless you're buying a condo in the Caribbean, I guess. Uh, and even more paranormal shows than travel shows or food shows. But apparently, paranormal shows pay the bills because they've got a lot of them. And they're filling up the entire month of October with all of your favorites and, of course, their favorites as well. 
And so if you haven't had your fill of television for 2020, I guess you haven't had your fill of television for 2020. Uh, the Travel Channel is packing October with specials and new releases and will wind down with what they're calling Seven Nights of Fright with the top 20 of the world's spookiest unexplained videos and the two-hour countdown of Paranormal caught on camera, the top 100. Probably an hour's worth of commercials, but maybe I'm in the market for a car. I don't know. No, I've just bought a motorcycle. Uh, a few specials include Amityville Horror House premiering on Monday, October 26th at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Got to catch that one. Uh, also, The Exorcism of Roland Doe. Not Rolling Doe. Roland Doe. Premiering on Tuesday, October 27th at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And, of course, the one we've all been waiting for. I know you have, and I know I haven't. The two-hour special Ghost Adventures Horror at Joe Exotic Zoo. That's horror with H-O-R-R-O-R at Joe Exotic Zoo. And that premieres Thursday, October 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And uh, wow, I mean, that's crazy. But that's not all, as they say. Uh, right after Zach and the boys get done exploding the Greater Wine, uh, Winewood Exotic Animal Park, I guess that's how you say that, Winewood, uh, tune in to Season 2, The Return of the Holzer Files. Actually, you might watch that. Uh, reopening famed ghost hunter Hans Holzer's original case files. That takes place 11 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on October 29th. And we're getting closer now. Friday, October 30th. Catch a sneak peek of the new season of Portals to Hell, starring Katrina Weidman and Jack Osborne. That airs on Friday, October 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Um, what else we got? October 30th, 8 p.m. Yep, yep. Uh, following that, oh boy, this is when it gets better. Uh, following that show. So if you didn't get your fill of Jack Osborne, at 8 o'clock, tune in at 9 o'clock to catch, I mean, this is going to be a hilarious adventure, I can tell you right now. Jack Osborne is going to take Ozzy, Sharon, and Kelly, the whole Osborne clan, on their first ever paranormal investigation in the Osborne's Night of Terror. And that premieres at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. I, I don't know. I might watch that just... Uh, just for Ozzy, I mean, first of all, but it, that's going to be, I don't know. He's, he's going to bring his dog probably. I don't know. Uh, so, but you think that's awesome. Well, what about a crossover event? You got to have a crossover in one of these kind of things. So they've got that covered as well. Ghost Nation and Kindred Spirits uh, will team on uh, Ghost Nation Reunion in Hell. And that premieres Saturday, October 31st at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And it all wraps up on Halloween night at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific with a new episode of Destination Fear, where the team will spend a night inside the abandoned and haunted, of course it's haunted, uh, Old Crow Distillery in Frankfort, Kentucky. Must be drunk ghosts for that matter. Uh, so a whole lineup of ghostly action, paranormal fun on Ghosttober on the Travel Channel. Who would have thunk it? Paranormal shows dominating a Travel Channel. But, you know, of course they travel places, but I don't know. I'd, I'd rather see places, you know, touristy places. I don't know. It's, on, it's TV. I don't know. But I guess people want the entertainment value. Watch people... In a distillery. Chasing shadows. In the dark. So let me get that link. Uh, if you're interested in the whole lineup. It, it's just overwhelming. I wish they just have a straight like day by day. I'm sure they will. As they get closer. But a lot of TV action. I mean I know. No one out there has had their fill of television for 2020. I mean I've. Never stopped working. This year. So. 
I mean, yeah, my job changed, but the fact that I'm going to work every day hasn't changed. But even I've watched more TV than normal since uh, don't go, don't get to go out to eat at restaurants or go out and do pretty much anything anymore. Um, but I've watched, my gosh, I, I couldn't tell you how much, how many shows I've watched on Netflix, uh, Hulu, uh, 15 seasons of Family Guy, uh, like 10 seasons of Supernatural. I mean, I, I've watched so much, 20 movies. Uh, lots of stuff coming out, coming up. Well, Mandalorian next month is probably the big one coming up too. Yet no big releases. You haven't been able to see anything in the theaters, which is crazy. Uh, but anyway, that's your ghost news. We're going to head into other news. And a story that uh, kind of hit the cutting room floor last week. Um, you might remember... Late last year, we're talking about Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Wyoming. They became the focus of an ongoing number of sightings of large, mysterious drones. Uh, Some of these drones are considered ginormous, very big. And lots of people seeing these drones reported all over the place. Police came in and uh, investigated this. uh, Government Uh, Agencies came in to investigate this. They set up like sting operations, watching certain areas at night. Uh, But no luck. They couldn't find any of these drones anywhere, despite being uh, in four states. Numerous people seeing these things and a lot of explanations. But no drones. No one's been able to figure that out. That, uh, you know, became a big story and then it just kind of fizzled away. Now, that story and investigation boiled over into January of this year. And like I said, uh, no real solution to exactly what people were seeing. It's uh, still a mystery to this day. But David Hambling, a contributor to Forbes magazine, states that through documents obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, uh, he reveals that uh, 24 nuclear sites suffered at least 57 drone incursions from 2015 to 2019. So these are nuclear sites, so uh, power plants mostly. And these reports also do not include other areas such as military bases. And the, uh, the ones that we were talking about before, the four states, a lot of those were... Uh, actually taking place near nuclear silo areas, which was a big cause of concern for uh, a lot of the general public and and people wondering why are there drones going over our weapons or nuclear silos? Uh, So some of this might just be curiosity seekers, uh, as is the case uh, a lot of times. Uh, But this is also alarming. And it's alarming, not in the in the in the meaning that uh, there's UFOs buzzing over our nuclear uh, areas here. That uh, you know they want us to uh, adopt wind power without killing bald eagles, or solar power without burning out our retinas. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, it just shows that how vulnerable these sites might be to terrorists and. Kind of he in this article on Forbes, they kind of expand on that. A lot of stuff I never really thought of or realized, I guess, about the potential for drones buzzing over sites like this. And, you know, we may see this in the future uh, as, as being something to really be concerned about. I mean, the technology of drones has really advanced very quickly. It reminds me a lot of the 1990s and computers, how fast technology was was a, adapting to uh, the needs of the general public and and what was coming out, and just explosive that technology. And now with drones, uh, the pricing. I mean, I remember when drones were two and three thousand dollars. Now they're you know one hundred fifty two hundred dollars. You can have one that uh, can can film ten eighty ten eighty p. Can fly, you know, for quite a long time and very easy to control. Uh, you can fly it on your phone. At this point, it's uh, crazy how the technology has changed and how cheap it's gotten. Unfortunately, the drawback to that means that a lot more people have access to this technology uh, as well as higher end technology 
also becomes cheaper and easily, obviously easily affordable for people who probably shouldn't have it or probably doing things they shouldn't be doing with it. And, uh, you know, it, it exposes these areas to potential terrorism acts. And I didn't really realize this, but reading this article, they talk about how you can use a medium-sized drone to basically put a hole in a cooling pool at one of these uh, nuclear power sites, and it could cause a radiation fire. It could, could really kill a lot of people. So a medium-sized, one medium-sized drone could end up basically taking down a uh, nuclear power station that's uh, kind of scary when you think about it. And uh, maybe we shouldn't be giving that idea out to anybody. I don't know. Uh, spooky stuff, though. And I, I don't know. I still love drones. I think they're, there's a good purpose for them. But, you know, like I've always said about any kind of technology, every time something advances, it hurts something else. And, you know, we talk, I talk a lot about it in the ghost field. Uh, every time we get something uh, nice, new, and uh, able to, you know, change things. So, you know, 35 millimeter film was just wrought with problems from static electricity to chemical exposures to, uh, you know, double images, all sorts of weird things that could happen with 35 millimeter film. And then here comes digital. Oh, this is great. No more ghost, ghostly things on film. But then we had the, uh, the birth of orbs camera orbs essentially or I should say ghost orbs because camera orbs were around back in the SLR days gosh you probably trace those back to the 1940s and 50s really uh, but you know a whole new slew of problems you get photoshop and you think well you know now we can find things in, in anything digitally altered but it becomes a lot easier to digitally alter things and I remember probably about 15 almost 20 years ago we saw UFO videos that can fool even experts that were made by 10 to 12-year-old kids. So, you know, as technology advances, so does the opportunity uh, for mischief and for potential harm to the general public, I suppose. And while I would love to leave you with that wonderful news story to let you drift off to sleep to thinking about nuclear silos and large radiation fires got a little bit more uplifting or possibly I guess this could also be unnerving I suppose a news story to talk about and we've been uh, poised for the news for quite a while now at least I have been ready for this any day now well I guess any week now or any month now or any year now uh, scientists may announce that life has been found somewhere in outer space it's it's eluded us for a while uh, I know uh, it was a couple of years, two years ago, three years ago, a former NASA scientist announced that he had found life from outer space. That turned out to be not true, of course. And we've been teased and tantalized with uh, Mars stories and, and different things that we think, oh, here it is. But then no. And while it more than likely won't be an almond-shaped eye, gray alien that's going to be discovered. And, you know, a lot of people think that that's what's going to happen. Probably not. I mean, we can we can hope of the discovery, at least of microbial life. But it, it, who knows what it could be? Plant life would be awesome, but probably microbial life is what it's going to end up being. The big question has always been where. Where will we discover this extraterrestrial life from? Uh, Again, Mars, always been the big focus, but in recent years, icy moons of gas giants, so like Europa, uh, has been receiving a lot of attention. But now, according to a New York Times article, scientists are taking a look at our other neighboring planet, no, not Mars, Venus, the one closer to the sun. So Venus, uh, really and truly, if you step back and look at it, it's not not really a really good candidate for life. Uh, I mean, 
if you consider the planet's got clouds that contain corrosive sulfuric acid, uh, it eats metal. Most of the probes that have been attempted to land on surface have just been eaten alive. Uh, not really, not favorable. Not favorable. Uh, the surface encounters temperatures around 800 degrees Fahrenheit and exerts pressure of more than 1,300 pounds per square inch. So Earth, for comparison, exerts uh, 14.7 pounds per square inch. Can you imagine 1,300 pounds per square inch? You might want to put that sandwich down. The article states it's the equivalent of being 3,000 feet under the surface of the ocean. So back in June of 2017, Jane Greaves, an astronomer, astronomer, astronomer at Cardiff University in Wales, used the James Clerk Maxwell Telescope in Hawaii to look for signs of various molecules in uh, planets. Uh, one chemical discovered on Venus was one that was not expected to be discovered, and that is phosphine. So phosphine is one atom of phosphorus and three hydrogen atoms combined. Uh, phosphine is known to exist on gas giants such as Jupiter and Saturn, and that's because it's caused by the immense heat and huge pressure that ram these atoms together. However, the reason why this story is in the news, the reason why people are talking about this, and the reason why they hypothesize that this could lead to extraterrestrial life is because phosphine is made in a different way as well, other than heat and pressure. Microbial organisms that don't require oxygen, which are known as anaerobic life, can easily make phosphine. And uh, if you want to know where phosphine can be found, well, look no further than your intestines. It's in there. Don't go looking. Uh, in March of 2019, the team made uh, the initial discovery, uh, the same team that made that initial discovery, this article is kind of hard to follow here, they used a more powerful telescope. So the, the, uh, the well, it's in Chile, the Atacama Large Millimeter Array in Chile, they discovered phosphine again, ranging from 5 to 20 parts per billion which isn't much, really. Uh, it's very dissolved. But that's still thousands of times more than what exists in Earth's atmosphere. So 5 to 20 parts per billion, still a lot for this kind of uh, molecule. And so there's a lot of debate in the scientific world. Most people in science are saying, whoa, 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 slow down. We shouldn't be talking about this, about potential life because of this phosphine. Um, a lot of biologists stepping forward and saying, no, 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 not so fast. A lot of people feel there's more than likely another way that phosphine is being discovered. And like I said, it's in your guts. It's in your intestines. But uh, we don't even really know how it's made here on Earth, let alone on other planets. So there's a lot of confusion about this. Uh, and really, it's going to continue because NASA, NASA really doesn't care about Venus. Uh, they don't really care about going there. There might be some other countries or companies that can actually go and test the atmosphere, but it's not going to happen for a while. Um, in the meantime, scientists are going to continue to gather evidence to help narrow down the potential physical explanations for the creation of the phosphine. And we'll have to wait and wonder if their hypothesis has any real merit. Chances are they'll figure out a different way that this is occurring. And this is good. This is healthy for science and I guess potential extraterrestrial life because this help may help solve a few mysteries here on earth as we try to figure out how these things are, are being created. I mean, really and truly to me, you know, you talk about gas giants and, and heat and pressure. Uh, there seems to be a lot of pressure on Venus, not as much as Jupiter or Saturn, but there's also a lot of heat as well. So I'm confused by that. I don't understand uh, why they, they don't know the limitations of the creation of these uh, phosphine molecules. But don't think it's any real big announcement. Don't think there's really anything big to it at all. It's just a story to get you to read. 
And with that, I'm going to bid you adieu for episode number 450 of the Paranormal News Insider. Don't worry. I'll see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>